Today's episode is sponsored by Let's Make Art. Let's Make Art is a crafting company that aims to help everyone channel their inner artist, whether you're three or 63. So they have so many cool offerings such as art journaling, which is something that I've been incorporating in my life for some years now. Art journaling is basically like regular journaling, except you express your thoughts, feelings, memories, or whatever you choose to document through images. Very similar to vision boards, which we talked about several times on the podcast. Let's Make Art offers free weekly art journaling tutorials, and you can either use your own supplies at home or purchase their prepackaged kits. They also have an art journaling box subscription, which includes ad-free tutorials, a box of art and course supplies, and other bonus content. I highly recommend this for folks who are interested in more creative ways of journaling. And if you're like me and you work with or have kids who love working with their hands, sometimes it can be hard coming up with new things to do. I know personally, I'm so tired of making slime and I'm so glad that Let's Make Art has a monthly kid subscription box for ages 5 to 11. Each box has the supply, step-by-step instructions, and free video tutorials that will allow your kids to use their imagination and feel the joy of creating something on their very own. Let's make art simple together. Check out Let's Make Art today by going to our special link, zen.ai, who do plant mamas, that's Z-E-N dot A-I slash who do plant mamas to get 20% off. Coupon code is activated at checkout. Let's start the show. Who do plant mamas? Get your soul fed and your spirit red. We just out here trying to water our plants and mind our business, you know? Everybody ain't from the deep south, man. Everybody can't have a culture like us. Hey y'all, welcome back to Hoodoo Plant Mamas. This is your host, Danny B. And this is Lynn Nicole. All right, well, before we get started, as usual, Leah, how are you doing? I have been doing pretty good. Um, Recently, I finally got my bike fixed. I've had it for three years. I'm not going to rant about how you need to give people gifts that they don't have to put work into, but please give people gifts that they can use right away and they don't have to put time, energy, and money into. But anyway, I'm so glad that finally, (laughs) after three years, I can use my bike. And I've been biking around the neighborhood uh, and it's been like 70 degrees and it feels so good to have the sun on my skin and the air flowing around me. It's been amazing. So I've been doing pretty good. I've been getting some sunshine, some fresh air. How have you been? I'm making it. um, The weather has been trash and I'm ready for some sun. I think the Uh, I think everything's gonna, the temperature is about to go back to where it needs to be by next week, but it is so cold. I had to turn on my heat twice and I'm no, I don't want to disrespect mother nature, but I'm tired. And that's all. I'm going to talk more about this later in the show, but I am just getting by right now mental health wise, because this weather is just not doing it for me. I understand. So what are you feeling grateful for this week? Oh my gosh. 
I turned in the first draft of my thesis of the documentary portion and the written portion. And so right now I'm working on revisions. I am thankful. I didn't think I was going to get it done. And I also got really good feedback from my advisor. Although I thought, <laughs> I didn't know what it was going to be, honestly. And maybe it's because I'm super critical of myself. But um, the feedback was really good and helpful. And so that's what I'm grateful for today. Didn't you get a fancy award for your presentation? (laughs) I did get a second place in a creative achievement conference for a podcast I put together, which um, the full project at some point will be publicly available. So I'll keep y'all up to date. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, for me personally, I am grateful for... um, a writing group I joined back in December. And it's just been a way for me to consistently work on my writing. And I'll also get very good feedback from the girls that are in that group. And they're very, they've been very supportive of me. And it's just like, for me, I've always been like, yeah, I'm an okay writer. And they've been like, no, you're a really great writer. So it's been so (laughs) affirmative having them say those things and it's also been kind of pushing me to kind of put my writing more out there so I'm very grateful for that group I'm very grateful for the people in it amen so today we wanted to talk about um therapy I wanted to do this episode because I saw some people in the spiritual community claim that therapy is not our salvation and while I do agree with that I still think therapy can be a powerful tool that we can use in our healing work so Danny I want to know, when did you start your therapy journey and what has that been like? This is so sad. It's not sad. I've been in and out of therapy of some sort since I was a child. My earliest experience with a therapist before, and I don't think as a kid I knew (laughs) that this, that was what it was. I was probably like five or six, just so you know what I got going on (laughs) in my life. (laughs) Just trauma. I think my therapy, I, I just... I don't know if I've ever really found therapy 100% helpful, at least as a kid, right? Because people don't really listen to kids. I do think whatever I was, I know what I was seeing the therapist for when I was super young. I do think whatever I was going through, she did help me with that. When as in adulthood, I think I've been able to gain, you know, certain tools from those therapy experiences, even if they weren't ideal. I I had I think I've had one therapeutic experience that's been the most impactful. And I think I saw her for almost two years. And then scheduling stuff and her being out of the country, me moving, all of that kind of, it sort of just ruptured that. And so I stopped seeing her. And I think it was mutual. It wasn't, it was mainly me. But I have done CBT, which I know that it's supposed to be empirically supported. I personally have not found it that helpful, partly because my thoughts, especially my negative thoughts, are vicious. And CBT is really about like you know changing those thoughts and behaviors and you know documenting and it's just certain things about it that just do not work for me um I've actually found talk therapy to be the most effective just because sometimes you just need to get it out and I think that that has really helped me with self-awareness like particularly around those negative thoughts and behaviors I am interested in EMDR, which I know if you have done, um, but I just haven't been able to find a therapist I can afford who does it. So that is probably going to be my next on my 
therapy lists of things to do? (laughs) I know for me, I have been in and out of therapy since I was about 18. Like as soon as I had the money and the resources to go to therapy, I was in therapy. And I've done a lot of different types. I've done talk therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. And like you said, I um, movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is EMDR. Uh, With talk therapy, I had the same therapist for almost two years. She was a Black woman. And it felt so nice to talk with her openly and honestly about my life without having to filter what I say or without having to explain cultural things, which is what I've had to do with like previous therapists. And to me, it almost felt like life coaching because I would go to her with like problems I was having either with my family or with work or in my relationship. And she would just kind of help me through how to work through that. And and we worked with a lot. We worked with communication. We worked with boundaries. So it was a lot of different life skills that I worked with her on. And I really appreciated that. And then once I built my altar, I noticed like she kind of became a medium. Like I would go to my altar with something. And then later in therapy, something I said in my altar would come up in our therapy session. I'm like, I, I don't know what's going on there, but... <laughs> But yeah, I feel like she, my ancestor was kind of using her as like someone to give me advice. And I really did appreciate that. Um, For CBT, it did teach me how to change certain behaviors to get things that I want. Like something I still do to this day is my sleeping shutdown schedule, which is you train your body that it's bedtime. Um, and what I do is I floss, brush my teeth, take a shower, wash my face, get in my pajamas. And then usually within the next hour, I'm asleep. And I've done it for so long that it's just like my body's just on that schedule. And it's been very helpful for me because before then I would just sleep at all times, <laughs> all hours of the day. But now I have a schedule and now my body's trained to go to sleep at that time. Something else that my CBT therapist taught me was halt, which is kind of like, when you feel kind of off, check in on your needs. And hall is H is hungry. A is angry. L is lonely. T is tired. You're hungry. You eat. You're angry. You do some kind of soothing exercise. You're lonely. You talk to a friend. You talk to family. You're tired. You nap or sleep, depending on what time it is. And so that has been very helpful for me. I don't know. I feel like other people, it may be common sense, but for me, it wasn't uh, when I was in CBT therapy. It's not common sense. It's hard. That's I think that's why it wasn't helpful for me because I'm like, this is too hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm glad because I was like, this seems like something everybody should know, but I didn't know it. And when I learned it, I was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. And it's been helpful for me. EMDR, I think, has been the most successful with processing lifelong trauma. But it's also the most draining. Like you have to sit and you have to think and remember and visualize the memories that you have. You have to feel them in your body. You have to process them and let them go. And it is high risk, high reward to go back and re kind of re-trigger yourself to be able to process it so it won't trigger your you in the future. And I think that although talk therapy was helpful for me in terms of reducing the amount of panic attacks I had after EMDR I don't think I've had a panic attack since then so that has yeah (laughs) life-changing life-changing wow um I also wanted to add I didn't mention so the my longest therapy relationship that I was talking about that I had to stop uh because of scheduling stuff was a black woman as well 
so much of what I learned from her, I think is similar to what you said about life coaching, something that really stuck with me. And, you know, she was, I think there's something interesting with having a black woman therapist who is authentically and unapologetically going to be black. And it's like, we here, she told me, you have been, you know, you keep saying you want to do this or you hope you do that. And you're saying you do, you did the vision board, but what little things are you doing to work towards that? Make a plan. Don't be, stop being scared to do it. Stop being scared to say, I want to write a novel, do an outline. Like, what do you want it to look like? Stop saying, I want to start a business. Start with whatever business model you want to do. Don't be afraid to do that. Don't don't think that like you're in over your head. You have to start somewhere. And that really taught me about like taking baby steps and never underestimating how little things will really become like I, I really like the foundation for the big things. So um shout out to black women therapists because they really out here saving lives. <laughs> they are. You just reminded me my therapist was the one who inspired me to write a book because I was like, oh, I want to write a book by the time I'm 30. And she's like, why don't you start now? And I was like, no, I can't. I can't do that. I was like, I have to wait till I'm 29. <laughs> and she was like, you have the tools to do it now. Go ahead and just start now. So again, yes, shout out to black lady therapists. They are like saving all of us. <laughs> Amen. Something else I wanted to talk about, even though therapy has been beneficial for me, there has also been some limitations associated with it. Um, the benefits of therapy of therapy depend both on the therapist and the individual. And sometimes the therapist isn't culturally competent. Like when I was in CBT, my therapist was a white man who hinted at me that maybe the discrimination I experienced in my job was due to my own catastrophizing. And like my brain thought it was worse than it actually was. And so for me, that signal like, I can never talk to this man about race because he's going to be like, is it really racism or is it you? It, like, it's just gaslighting at that point. And so I took from CBT things that were useful for me, like the sleeping and checking in with your needs. But in terms of catastrophize, I don't think it's irrational for a Black person to be afraid of, like, white people in positions of power. Even, like, I've heard horror stories of CBT, like this uh, one Black person who was afraid that, you know, they were going to shot and killed by the cops. And, and the therapist was trying to rationalize. But I'm like, no, Black people get shot and killed by the cops. Like, it's not irrational to think that way. So I think there are a lot of limitations when it comes to CBT because it's like you have irrational thoughts and behaviors. And it's like sometimes being black in this country, our thought patterns are not irrational. They are very rational. Nothing about white supremacy is rational. And so it would make sense that our thoughts are quote unquote irrational to them. So I do want to talk about that experience as well so the person that I did CBT with and let me say maybe that shaped my experience with it not being helpful because it was always in the back of my mind I'm dealing with this young white woman clinical psychologist like resident she wasn't finished she was kind of still in school but like able to able to give services and so you know back in college when I was in college this was when Trayvon I, I was in college when Trayvon was um, when his killer was found not guilty, not indicted. 
when he was killed. I was in college. Michael Brown, all of these different people were being killed by the police. And I was also dealing with the racism at my college. And so when I would bring that up as like a stressor, she always shifted it. And at first I thought I was tripping until I would come back to another session and she would shift the conversation. And for me, that immediately made me not trust her. And I think that it really soured the entire thing and I didn't finish. Did I gain some things from that experience? Yes, but it's like I could not fully be invested because you were not fully invested in honoring the experience my experience as a black person it's honestly dangerous like it should be a requirement it should be a a requirement because that can really have really bad negative consequences for black people dealing with a therapist that's invalidating their experience of racism or homophobia or anything yeah i agree i think cultural competence should be like the bare minimum but unfortunately it's not and I think that's why a lot of people feel like therapy doesn't work for them another thing that I noted or that I heard from a therapist which is her least favorite part of the job is like therapy pathologizes you it has to in order for your insurance to kick in and so oftentimes like people are diagnosed with things that I don't think that they really have I think it's just like their body reacting to their environment I I wonder if people actually have anxiety or depression or if those are just the words that we describe for what our bodies go through from living under an oppressive system and I think that therapy as a whole it's it's only to get us to continue working under capitalism it isn't there to get us free Yes, that thing about like pathologizing us. So the first thing I wanted to say is apparently grief is in the DSM now, which is like, that's a whole nother conversation. We might have to bring someone on for that. But I agree because I think about the language of functional people that are functionally depressed or uh, functional alcoholics or functional addicts. And it's all rooted in, well, this person can still do their job. They can still work. They can still go on about their life. And one of the things in the DSM or with mental health disorders is that it's on a spectrum of, is it to the point where it's impacting your ability to do life? Is it impacting your ability to work? Is it impacting your ability to da 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 causing dysfunction? And and that makes sense. But I also think, like you said, it's very much rooted in capitalism, very much rooted in are you able to be a functional citizen in this society and make us money? I also, um, I think one of the other limitations. So there's these jokes I'm sure you've seen floating around about people saying like, you want to be honest with your therapist, but not so honest that you end up getting institutionalized. And it's like, It's funny, but it's not funny because it's real um, and it's indicative of the way the prison industrial complex has literally impacted every institution in this country. So I recently, maybe like a couple of months ago, this I didn't discover, but you know, I became aware of the term called justice impacted. So people that are impacted by the justice system, I consider people who are institutionalized in mental health, like mental health institutions, people with parents, family members, like I consider us to be justice impacted because I think that all of those institutions are wrapped up in the same complex. And it's just the fact that like 
You can't say that you are experiencing a real symptom of living under white supremacy, of living under capitalism, which is, I don't want to be alive. Who wants to be alive under this? You know what I mean? Like in truth. And to say like, hey, this is how I'm feeling. And immediately it's like, we got to lock you up and, and pump you with medication. And that's not to say that like, this isn't a real problem, right? But I always think about like, what have I needed in those moments? What have, have been the most helpful for me? And I have to say community. I have to say community. And I wonder if there were other ways we could support people who are dealing with, you know, suicidal thoughts and that kind of thing. Because that is a real thing. And some people deal with it chronically. And it's not always I want to do it. It's just like, I don't want to be here. Now, are there instances where the therapist may need to intervene? Yes, but you can't, y'all can't be just suddenly being like, you know, y'all can't immediately send the fucking cops over who are going to come, not just the ambulance to come and drag us off somewhere every time we say, this is what I'm experiencing. But also, can you listen to what I am also experiencing in my life that is causing this and let me like talk it out? So I don't want to go on a rant, but that is something that I've been thinking about a lot. And also the fact that like knowing that other people are experiencing this, talking to friends that go through chronic suicide ideation, there is something not going right with the institution of therapy and all that. There's something they are not doing right and they need to figure out because they, nobody really knows, like there's still so much that people don't know about suicide and there's so much work to be done. I just think that we're moving in the wrong direction as far as that. And so um, I think that's one of the big limitations. Um, Something you said that I, I think is true is the idea of a high functioning person. And I was recently listening to to a black woman. She has autism. She didn't find out she had autism till she was in her 20s because like there's a lot of racism behind that. But a lot of it is like if you are high functioning or if you have a milder form of autism, if you're good at masking the problems that you're going through, you're less likely to get help. And so it's just like we're literally leaving people to suffer because it's like, yes, you're suffering under capitalism, but you're still performing. And so therefore you're just going to keep suffering. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's no such thing as functional depression. There's no such thing as being a functional addict. There is a such thing as right now, you don't see the way this is killing me, but it's killing me. You mm -hmm. don't see, you don't, you're not in my head. That's just like the, that. so this black woman not too long ago, I think she was Miss America or a pageant girl and she took her life. People were so shocked. She's so beautiful. She's so talented. She's so this. Yeah, she was one of those people that y'all out here saying got functional depression. And as somebody who deals with this, she did not just wake up one day and make that decision. She has been wrestling. And I guarantee you she's, she was wrestling with it for years. And nobody, and you know, nobody noticed. So I want to, I really think we should stop using that language. Agreed. <laughs> So are you ready for a break? <laughs> we can take a break.
Thank you for listening to the Who Do you Plant Mamas podcast. As always, you can support the show by following us on Instagram at Who Do you Plant Mamas and Twitter at Who Do you Plants. You can also monetarily support our show by joining our Patreon, where we have a $2 love offering or a $5 all access tier, which includes monthly mini sews, newsletters, and plant content. Thank you to our new patrons, Ariel and Kristen. Thank you for joining. Let's get back to the show. So one of the things we wanted to talk about was like alternative forms of healing. So what what do we do when therapy is not enough? Because sometimes therapy isn't enough, um, especially if you can't even find like a good therapist or a therapist that's culturally competent. So I'll say this from my experience. I would say <laughs> as early as last year, I probably would be ashamed to say that I have a psychiatrist um, and also that he's a white man. <laughs> which I was super skeptical of initially. This is also someone through my university. Okay. So it's also about like affordability and access, but it actually hasn't been bad. And I'm not saying this to recommend a psychiatrist, right? They're wrapped up in the same system. Well, I wanted to talk about like how this is my first sort of therapeutic relationship where I feel like I have full agency. I have full agency and not to say, you know, not to say that other people didn't give me agency, but like, I go in there feeling like we're equals. He can recommend something to me or a medication and I can say no, and I'm not going to get scolded. He's going to say, all right, you can look this up and let me know. And if you still don't like it, we can talk about something else. Some of the non-pharmaceutical things that he's recommended are a happy light. So I think I was saying earlier how the weather has been trash. It's like we got like a week or two of spring and I was just feeling alive. I was feeling luxurious. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it got cold. My, my fucking tree died. I finally had to just pour it out and I'm still upset. That was two years, two years. It died because it, we had a random cold snap and it started snowing so he recommended a happy light which i've been using especially since the weather is trash but also working out because that gets those endorphins flowing and that's been really helpful for me and energizing but i also wanted to say and leah could probably speak to this too spiritual work is helpful i did take a spiritual bath weeks ago after it had been probably almost a year since <laughs> my last one that prayer finding a scripture that resonates with you or a poem or something to say to yourself when you're going through it or you're feeling low uh, another thing that I do is talk out loud to God or you could talk out loud to yourself uh, without policing yourself so I can't tell you how many times in a week I say to God I don't know what you want from me like this is hard and I'm tired like I'm sick of this you know like what gives so I literally vent Sometimes that venting ends with me like assuring myself and maybe that's an ancestor assuring me coming through. And then sometimes I just go to sleep and I say, you get to, you get to start fresh tomorrow, get up, go to the gym. We're going to like not sit in the house tomorrow. We're going to do something to get you out of this. And that usually helps. And then the last thing, which is probably problematic you know, I know that the girls were on the minimalism tip and I'm not opposed to that. You know, it's something that I'm trying to incorporate in my life, but retail therapy, buying things that make you feel good. And obviously in moderation, right? Like the big thing that I've been doing is buying clothes that are more colorful. So I'm shifting my wardrobe completely. 
buying things that make me feel good and confident in my body, but that aren't hiding my body. So I've been doing that thing that I talked about last episode where I look at my body in the mirror every day, really liking my booty, the progress. (laughs) It's coming like the 30 plus is coming. And yeah, but like, again, you deserve nice things. Do it in moderation. Like, don't, you know, not pay your rent because you want a Teflar bag. You need to save up for it. Maybe get something (laughs) cheaper from Shein or something. And so you can get that. But like, it's okay to splurge on yourself sometimes if that makes you feel good, you know? So that's some of my alternatives I recommend. <laughs> Are you subtweeting that girl who talked about forget paying rent? <laughs> oh no, but I remember that. I remember okay. that. And <laughs> I, you know, I didn't take it literally. Was it the one that was saying like how none of this is real? Go buy that. Yeah. Bag? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think she clarified in the other tweets that it wasn't like literally, but they was cooking her. Like they were cooking her in the quote tweets. <laughs> I mean, I understand where she was coming from. She was like, I got $50, but I'm about to go out and eat. No, I'm not judging because I'm honestly living like that right now. Like, I make sure my bills are paid, but I'm living like, listen, I don't even know if I'm going to be alive tomorrow. Like, I'm about to fucking buy this dress. Okay? Like... So that's how I'm living in a in a responsible way. So I wasn't mad at that at all. <laughs> Same. <laughs> For me, back when I was in therapy, my therapist recommended the book, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. And it's a great book. It goes into his research studying various types of trauma. I know he's he worked with soldiers who had PTSD, and then he started working with people who experienced childhood abuse, whether that was like physical, sexual. And he talked about the psychosomatic symptoms that come from that and the ways to process through it through your body. And he didn't always recommend therapy, which I thought was like really interesting for a psychologist, but because he realized that um, therapy didn't work for everybody. And a lot of it had to do with whether or not you liked your therapist or whether or not you were open to that process. Um, And this was also why when we had Julia Mallory um, and we talked about grief, why I was interested in non-therapy ways of processing grief. And so something that Vanderkolt recommended were things like journaling, writing, yoga, meditation, affirmations. Um, He even talked about how different cultures have different ways of healing. He used the example of an African community. I forget which one, but it's where women would get together and they would hum and they would sing. They would like stomp, clap their hands. And then after they report that their levels of stress reduce from doing that communal activity. So he acknowledged that there are many different ways to get that kind of pain and that hurt moving through and out of your body. For me personally, my therapy journey did come to an end last year. Against my will, I will say, (laughs) I I saw my therapist. It was like every time I saw her for like six months, she was like, we've done all the things you wanted to do. You made a lot of progress. Do you have anything else you want to work on? I was like, no, I just want to talk. And she was like, do do you have anything else you want to do? I was like, let's just talk. And finally, she was like, you know, it's okay to not be in therapy anymore. So yeah, I'm no longer in therapy because my therapist suggested. (laughs) 
But because I'm not in therapy, it didn't mean that my healing work was over with. For me, like you said, I still do a lot of spiritual work, which is sitting and talking with my ancestors, which is sitting in nature, um, being in the water, which is what I love to do. And it's also it's also a spiritual bath. Being in the water is a spiritual bath. Yes. <laughs> and I've been doing not just I do spiritual baths every month. I've also done black walnut baths, which are kind of cord cutting for those it's habits or people or whatever that you're still holding on to and you're trying to get rid of. That has been very, very helpful. Um, highly recommend them. <laughs> yeah. And then another thing is living. Like when I was reading the body keeps the score. I realized that a lot of the different healing things that he recommended, I had already done. I've already done yoga. I've already done journaling. I've done, you know, being in church and singing. I've done a lot of these different types of healing work that he recommended, but something I haven't done a lot of is living. And I thought about that in a little Juju podcast, her latest episode, she talked about living as being an important part of our healing journey eating good food, feeling the sun in your skin, dancing, like all of these. Having sex. Having sex. (laughs) (laughs) All of these are important parts of living. Like we did not just come to this earth to heal. Healing is important, but that's not all we were meant to do. I love that episode and I needed it because your girl ain't been living. Like I haven't especially after COVID, like, and so I think a part of the sun shining and getting out of the house and sitting on campus or whatever, walking, I think that has been helping me a lot. And I think it gets to what Juju Bay was talking about, like, like allowing your body to feel and experience and and taste and all of that. So go listen to that. Yes, I definitely agree. Like I, COVID's still real. I acknowledge that. But I have been trying to get out of the house more. And something that does make me feel better is having the sun on my skin or having the wind on my body or feeling being in the water. Um, And something else that she said that I agree with is she was like, you know, we deserve to eat good food. And I'm like, thank you, because I'm tired of these people being like, you need to diet and exercise. Who cares if your food is? I'm like, no, I I am not about to sit here and suffer through a meal. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't care how fat I am. I'm not about to suffer through a meal. I love to eat. And I've been, you know, (laughs) I think a lot of my body issues stop me from saying that out loud or being like I should be ashamed of that because of my body I fucking love to eat food makes me feel good I like it I like it a lot like so you're not gonna take away my like you're not gonna take away my plantains okay you're not none of it (laughs) (laughs) or my fried salmon Cause y'all want to drag us. They said um, salmon is the new chicken for black people. And it's like, stay mad. But it's good. Stay mad. Like we, and we're going to keep, we're going to make salmon everything that it could possibly be. Nuggets. I saw somebody make salmon in like cubes and they put it in Alfredo. It looked really good. (laughs) I literally just made um, my friend Tasha found this recipe on YouTube of this Alfredo sauce. I just made me some to uh for this last week for dinner. And it's usually like salmon 
over the alfredo over the salmon and then rice i use this like really good wild rice so mm. yes i've been i have literally ate eat no other meat <laughs> for like a week except <laughs> salmon and like sausage <laughs> like turkey sausage but yes salmon till i die and chicken i'm probably gonna make me chicken this week Y'all need to stay out of black people business. That includes black people <laughs> trying to police us and make us feel shame about cultural dishes. Exactly. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, do you have any final thoughts? I don't think so, other than I'm really thankful for this conversation. Um, I just wish we could have more of these conversations. And I hope we can get a therapist on here one day. One that is, you know, maybe on the spiritual, like skewed store spiritual. I also wanted to say, did you, you saw what was going on with Chica, right? I don't think so. Chica has been really transparent about her mental health struggles. Um, I think that she is a survivor as far as like a suicide attempt. And she, you know, she posted something that I read and I shouldn't have read as somebody who also deals with that on social media, I think she's okay, which is good. But my hope just like building off of the discussion we had is that we talk more transparently about chronic thoughts of not wanting to be alive and how community is so important. So anyway, I wanted to, I just wanted to lift her up and lift up anybody else that struggles with that. Like you're not wrong and you're not crazy like you are living under conditions that are literally actively working against your ability to want to be alive, to to have like a good quality of life. And so we gon' we gonna be all right. And, and if you're not gonna be all right, that's okay too. You still matter. So Yeah, I think we talk a lot about how these systems of oppression want us dead, but I don't think we talk about the ways that we internalize that and we go down these I don't want to say self-destructive well they are self-destructive if you're having suicidal ideation but I do think that this is important and I do think that one therapy is not accessible I know we've talked about how therapy doesn't work for everyone but therapy also isn't accessible to everyone and then once therapy is accessible to you you have to go through that whole other thing of finding someone who's competent and it's it's a lot of work but that doesn't mean that healing should be inaccessible to you. That doesn't mean that help shouldn't be inaccessible to you. So thank you again uh, for listening to this episode. If you want to reach out to us, you can find us on Instagram at Hoodoo Plant Mamas and Twitter at Hoodoo Plants. Make sure to like, rate, and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And stay tuned for our next episode. Goodbye, y'all. Bye.